Hello and welcome back to Basic Bible 102. I'm Margie Smith and today we are covering Lesson 14 in the uh, Life of Christ series, the uh, first module of uh, Basic Bible 102. And today's lesson is on healings. Now, up until this point, we have talked about Jesus, the good teacher, his miraculous birth, um, how his teachings affected people and how people came and began to uh, listen to him and puzzle over his um, some of his sayings, which seemed hard to understand. Today, we're going to look at a different aspect because at this point, Jesus has become quite popular. And uh, at part of the reason is because he's able to heal. So let's look first back at his first miracle. The first thing that uh, time that people really started realizing this isn't just your average Joe. Okay, John 2, uh, we're going to start at the beginning of it. And uh, if you have your um, student workbooks, we are going to get in a little bit into that uh, passage in Mark as well. So let's start with John 2, beginning with verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Near, uh, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. This is this, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Canaan in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. All right, so at this point, Jesus has his followers, he's the disciples and other people. He's at this wedding, and his mom tells him, <laughs> you know, help out here. So obviously, Mary knew something more about Jesus than anybody else did. I don't know if this is really Jesus' first miracle or if it's his first recorded miracle, but she obviously knew he could take care of the problem. Now, Jesus didn't really want to reveal himself just yet. And part of the reason, which we'll see as we go along, is once word gets out, then he has more and more pressure on him to perform. Uh, I'm sure if any of you have ever been in a situation where uh, you did something really good, maybe you're a sport, um, you played football in high school or college or whatever, and you became kind of well-known for that, then there was this pressure to keep performing. So Jesus kind of wanted to keep his miraculous side quiet for a while, but that was not the case. So uh, we begin to see Jesus doing all kinds of healings. Now, remember, they had magicians in those days that could do different tricks. In fact, even at the time of Moses, there was magicians in, in uh, Egypt that could imitate some of the miraculous things that Moses did. So we see Jesus uh, 
performing this miracle and word getting out a little bit, but his disciples were the ones who really knew uh, and, and really believed in him. All right, so let's turn back now to Mark uh, chapter 1. Go down to verse 40 here. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So we see that this uh, miracle with the, the leper, first of all, let's talk about leprosy. Leprosy is a disease. It's like a skin disease, but it actually, what it's really doing is eating away your nerve endings so that you don't feel anything. It takes what would normally happen to us is if we smashed our finger, it would hurt. Well, with leprosy, you, you lose that begin, that feeling. And what happens is a lot of the flesh falls away because, you know, you injure yourself and you don't realize it. So it's a very nasty disease. Uh, and at Jesus' time, there really was no cure. There was nothing they could do about it. And so uh, people who got this disease ended up being shunned and, and sent out of town and had to live uh, all by themselves or with other lepers. And the only way they could come back into town and be part of uh, society was if they went to the temple and showed the priests and the, and then offered a, a sacrifice that says, you know, praise be to God, I've been healed. And the priest could verify it and say, yes, you can now go back to, to living your normal life. And so he would wash his clothes and he was um, allowed back into society. So the problem with that is that Jesus wanted to make sure this man went to the priest and did what he was supposed to do. And yet this man, because he knew he'd been healed, was just so overjoyed and so grateful, and he just starts telling everyone about it. And the consequence of that, even though Jesus told him, don't tell everybody, was that then Jesus couldn't go into the towns anymore because he would be swamped. And even now, even at this point, he is um, up on a hill um, preaching and people will still come to him with, with their sick. Sickness is a common uh, challenge in our society. It always has been in, in the world. Um, from the time sin entered the world, um, sickness has been part of the uh, ramifications of the fall, we call it, just the consequence of sin. And be, uh, as a result, when people are sick, and of course now we have doctors that have uh, are gifted in being able to he uh, help heal people, and we have medicines, and there's a lot we can do to prevent illness, but at the time of Christ, illnesses were definitely um, common, and when they were, it meant a very, very hard life for the person who was um, injured or um, had disease. All right, let's look at some other lepers that Jesus healed. This is back in Luke 17, starting in verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. 
And as he was going into a village, ten lepers who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on me. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were healed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So the reason they were yelling at Jesus from afar is because they weren't allowed to get close to people. And when they did need to go past people or whatever they had to say, unclean, unclean, as they were walking along. And in this case, they are telling Jesus, have pity on us, which Jesus does. He turns and he tells them, go do just like he told the other uh, leper, go show yourself in the temple. And along the way, they realized they were healed. One of them turned around and came back and just laid at Jesus' feet and said, thank you, thank you. Well, you know, that's a smart thing to do, to uh, tell God thank you for all he has done for you, even if it hasn't been miraculous healings, but certainly if it has. The other nine did were Jesus' questions, well, where did they go? How come they didn't come back, basically? So, uh, and then he tells this man, you know, your faith has made you whole. You know, it's interesting that the Samaritan, remember we had talked before about the Good Samaritan? Well, it's interesting that the Samaritan returned to Jesus and said thank you. Uh, Probably some of the others were actual Jews. So you might be wondering, well, why were they hanging out with the Samaritan? And the truth is that when you have something that's really bad in your life, say you're a drug addict or you have some other uh, ailment or infirmity, you tend to cling to other people who have the same issue because misery loves company, partly, and also because they understand you. And so here, this this man is with people that understood him and knew what it was like to live a very lonely life um, living outside the city. Turn back now to Luke 4. Let's look at verses 40 and 41. It says, when the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Christ. Okay, we're going to talk more about demons and demon possession next week. But for today's lesson, which is on healings, we see that Jesus is patiently healing everybody who is brought to him. And the challenge is more and more people hear about it, and Jesus is more and more demands are put on his time. And it's hard to be, you know, continually surrounded by people. So this begins a time for Jesus when he. Uh, does not really want the word to spread so quickly because his mission on earth was not just to heal, but it really was to bring salvation, which is why most of the time he would say, go, your sins have been forgiven. Now, this got him into some trouble with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests uh, because when he would say, your sins have been forgiven, they were somewhat horrified by this. You know, who is this young man from Galilee telling us that our sins are forgiven, what power does he have to forgive sin? 
Turn now to Matthew 9. Uh, we're going to look at the first few verses. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossing over, and uh, came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to man. To men, and, but in this case, Jesus is using the power that is His power. I mean, He is God on earth, so He is using a power to heal, which is an outward expression of what's happening on the inside. When He tells them, uh, "Your sins have been forgiven," what may be the same story or a similar one takes place back in Mark chapter two. And I'm just going to read a little bit of this. It says, A few days later, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. In fact, so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get in to see Jesus because of the crowd, they go up on the roof. And so here's what happens. These gentlemen go up on the roof with their friend, who's on this mat, who cannot walk, and they dig through the roof. Now, the roofs back then were probably made with straw and dirt and that sort of thing. So they get through the all of the roofing and lower their friend right in front of Jesus. And it says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, to the paralytic, Son, your sin, sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? So this may have been the same situation as the one we just read a minute ago. But we see that Jesus looked at this man and had compassion on him and healed him. And, of course, the Pharisees are far more concerned about uh, the, their status and that Jesus thinks he can forgive sin. And they aren't even thinking about this poor man who was crippled before, and now he can walk. So let's look one more story about uh, healings. Well, we'll have several, but this particular one back in Matthew 9, starting with verse 27. As Jesus went on from there... Two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind man came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the good news about him all over the region. So over and over we see people being healed and Jesus telling them, just keep it quiet. And people 
just not able to do that. And if you think about it, it makes sense because when something really good happens to us, we can't help it. We want to share it with everybody we know. We want to say, wow, look at this. And that's kind of the same thing when we become believers. We're so excited about it and sometimes even annoying to our friends because we want them to see what's happened to us, how we've been changed, how we've been healed on the inside. Okay, one more passage on here, uh, John 9. Remember last week when I said there was going to be a lot of reading on this one? And what the reason is because I'm trying to show you that the same story can appear in several different uh, of, of the gospel books, but also some of them are just on, only appear just the once. So in this case, um, in chapter 9 of John, it says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. The disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Okay, so back then, if someone was born blind, they blamed it on the parents. The parents' sin, uh, there was some reason that this child was born with a birth defect of some sort, uh, blindness, crippled, whatever it was. So, So the disciples are saying, okay, was it really his fault? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this has happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he said, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came home, seeing... His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't that the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am that man. You know, it's so funny when you see someone out of context and you think, Why? Why is that person, you know, I know that person, but why are they here? Well, the same sort of thing is happening here. They see this blind man who now sees and is... um, no longer having to beg, and so they can't decide if that's the same man or if it's just somebody that really looks like him. But of course, he wants to tell them that he has been healed, what Jesus has done. In fact, he says in verse 11, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes, and then he told me to go wash, uh, to go to Shalom and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They, they asked him. I don't know, he said. You know, he, he, Jesus had gone on. And so the Pharisees are really very concerned. And what they're concerned about is not that this blind man can see. It's that it was the Sabbath. Now, remember the Jews had all these different uh, restrictions on what they could do on the Sabbath. And most of those came from the Pharisees, where they said, you can only walk this many paces, you can't do this, you can't really do any kind of work. So what we have to ask is, well, was the healing work? It certainly wasn't work to Jesus. He just went ahead and healed. It didn't bother Jesus that it was the Sabbath. But these men considered it uh, a sin. It was wrong to do any healing on the Sabbath. Now, I don't know if healing was popular in that time. I sort of doubt it. And so you would think that they would be more surprised that this man could be healed than irritated that Jesus had done this on the Sabbath. But you know, they were constantly looking for some way to trap Jesus. And so they thought they had it here. And so they go to the the guy who's blind and said, 
Um, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? Uh, so they were divided about it. And finally, they turned again to the blind man. Uh, what have you to say about him? Is this, uh, it was your eyes that were opened. And the man replied, he's a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? So his parents said, we, we know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind, but how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been uh, blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. What an amazing thing that he doesn't question Jesus, uh, who Jesus is. He's just so happy to be healed. And I think that sometimes when something miraculous happens to us, it's not so much the how, it's the what happens to us. The fact that we are now free of that disease or that illness or that whatever that infirmity might be. So as we see, they keep trying to trap Jesus. Um, look back in Matthew 12, uh, down in verse 9, and it says, Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other one. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. All right, so they've seen enough. They've heard enough. They are sick to death of this man, Jesus, who has come and caused all kind of a ruckus. They're kind of afraid he might get them in trouble with the Roman authorities because he has a lot of power. And they were constantly walking this tightrope between the um, the Roman uh, rulers, uh, the ones who were over them, the overseers, and their their faith. And because their faith, they had made such strict rules about it, they thought they were pretty well safe. But here we see that Jesus is coming through saying, you know, it's okay to heal on the Sabbath. This person is more important than a sheep. And the Pharisees just have had enough. It's like, okay, we, we've got to do something about this man, Jesus. And they begin the process of plotting to kill him. So that's our lesson for today. I hope you've had a chance to kind of read some of those passages on your own and meditate on them a bit. What we've seen in this lesson is that Jesus was far more than just a good teacher. Uh, when people heard about Jesus, they flocked to him and they brought their sick and their injured and their, really they came to be healed, but Jesus knew he was also helping them be forgiven of sin because he could forgive sin. One thing to remember from this lesson is that birth defects are not because of sin, but they are to show God's power. So if you are born with a birth defect or have, know someone or have had a child with a birth defect, know that that's not your fault. And that's what Jesus was trying to get across here. 
to show it was instead to show God's power. You know, God will do whatever he needs to do to uh, restore the relationship between us and him, even to the extent of sending his own son to die for us. Finally, healing on the Sabbath turned out to be one of the sins that was used against Jesus at his trial. So keep that in mind because it doesn't, I mean, Jesus explained that, uh, you know, people are more important than the Sabbath. But unfortunately, the religious leaders were looked at it and said, well, we might find an opening here of how we can get at Jesus. So for next week, we, like I mentioned, we're going to talk a little bit about de- casting out demons. And that's a hard lesson. I'm going to tell you right now, I do not look forward to teaching it, but I do look forward to you hearing the word and finding um, some truth about that. Um, some people don't believe in demons. Uh, If Jesus believed in them, I certainly do. And one other thing is I think that um, there is a spiritual realm that we're not aware of. We can't see it with our eyes. But plenty of people will tell you when they have seen true evil. And those who are dealing with all kinds of demonic strongholds will tell you, yes, uh, demons are real. So we'll look at that next week. In preparation, the verses that you might want to read are listed on the website, uh, basicbible102.com. And uh, be sure and do your lesson if you get a chance, if you have the student workbook, and uh, then you will be prepared as well. If you're doing this as part of a group study, that's great, and I'm sure that your group leader will appreciate that you spend a little bit of time truly researching this. One other thing I would suggest is you may want to go to um, a couple of websites about demon possession. One of them is called gotquestions.org. And there's a section in there on demon possession as well. So we'll look at that a little bit. I don't want to step on any particular religion's toes as far as how they um, approach the demon possession. Churches are very different. But I do want to show you what Jesus said about it and what he did about it. All right. Until next week, be blessed. <music>